turn to Ephesians 2. We are moving on in our study of Ephesians. Uh, The last section we studied was chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So we will pick up today in verse 11. Um, I'm going to read a big chunk from chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to chapter 3, verse 6, so that we can get the big idea. Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 3, verse 6. Follow as I read, this is the Word of God. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh, in His flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, that's Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right, I know that's a lot, but we're going to uh, break it down. So the big idea in the passage can be found in chapter 3, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs of God uh, with the Jews. Jew and Gentiles, it says, are members of the same body partakers of the same promise in Christ through the gospel. So by the end of the lesson, my hope is that we can simply uh, just a little bit better understand what what that means. But first, let's think about the context. So about 2000 B.C., God spoke to a man named Abram 
God told Abram to leave his uh, family and his homeland. Abram, Abram was from, from a pagan nation, uh, you know, not serving God. He told Abram to leave his family and his homeland and to follow him, to follow God. Later, God changed his name to Abraham. Uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, They became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that's where the nation of Israel came from, from Jacob's sons. Uh, And from the time of Abraham up to the time of Christ, this is where God was focused in relationship with mankind, with Abraham and with his descendants, with Isaac, then Jacob, then the nation of Israel. So um, the point that I want you to think about is that the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, was God's nation. The people of Israel were God's people. For a couple thousand years, God chose to enter into relationship with the nation of Israel and not with other nations. All other nations, known as Gentile nations, Gentile is simply a name, you know, the Israel, Israelites are Jews, and everyone else, Gentile. Right? That's us. Um, We're just non-Jews, non-Israelites. So God entered into relationship with the nation of Israel and not with other nations, not with the Gentile nations. But things changed in Christ. In Christ, God expanded His people to not only include the nation of Israel, but to also include all nations. So now it's not just Jews, it's Jews and Gentiles. It's the nation of Israel and all other nations. Um, That doesn't mean every person on the planet is saved and walking with God, but but hopefully you'll better understand uh, in a bit. So just for for example, this letter that we're studying was written to the churches in Ephesus, Gentiles. Um, But this transition in the early church to include Gentiles with the Jews... In the people of God, it was not the smoothest transition, to say the least. I mean, Jews were hostile to Gentiles. Gentiles were bitter toward Jews. They were outsiders for generations, right? And so uh, that didn't just evaporate. This was a great tension in the beginning of Christianity, and that's the tension that Paul is speaking into in this passage. Uh, One thing we can be thinking about as we study this passage is that this tension was a racial tension. The Jews saw themselves not only as having the superior religion and superior politics, I mean, they had the politics of God, right? Uh, but, But they also simply saw themselves as the superior race of mankind. They had the religion of God, they had the politics of God, they were God's nation, they were God's race, And this is why the Jews hated the Samaritans so much when you get to the New Testament. And um, because the Samaritans uh, came about when Jews intermarried with neighboring Gentiles, right? And the Jews thought of this as defiling the superior race. So the Jews would refer to the Samaritans as dogs or as half-breeds. I mean, it's wrong. I'm just trying to tell you, that's that's kind of the tension that, that we're... Uh, entering into here. That's the way Jews thought about Gentiles, as dogs. And we can only imagine that the hatred was reciprocated. You know, um, think about the black-white racial tension in our day. 
I mean, there was a time in our country not long ago where white people foolishly saw themselves as the superior race, and some still do. And because of that, many black people have hated white people, right? I mean, there is a long-standing generational tension that is complex, and, and we can understand that. Uh, our passage speaks into that tension. So we can look at our passage under two main headings, separation and reconciliation. And there are two ways to think about each. Between man and God, vertical, and between man and man. So Paul talks about separation between man and God and separation between Jew and Gentile. He also talks about reconciliation between man and God and reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. So first, let's look at the separation. Uh, If you still have your Bibles open, verse 12. Remember, Paul is speaking to the Gentiles. He says, at that time you were separated from Christ. That is, you know, before they became Christians. But, but Jesus is not all He says they were separated from. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. Alienated, strangers, it's language of separation. So what does it mean that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel? Well, remember what I said earlier, for generation after generation leading up to the time of Christ, God's focus in relationship was with the nation of Israel, uh, not with Gentiles. What does it mean that they were separated from the covenants of promise? It's the same idea. God was focused in relationship with Israel, and the way He establishes relationship is via covenant, um, such as the covenant with Abraham, or the covenant with the nation of Israel through Moses, the giving of the law, or the covenant with David. You know, we, we know something of covenant relationship in marriage. It's just, there's, there's more, it's more substantial, um, and that's the way that God enters into relationship, is this uh, substantial binding covenant relationship. Um, so, What he's pointing to here is Gentiles were not a part of the people of Israel. We're strangers to covenant relationship with God. Later in verse 12 it says that Gentiles had no hope and were without God in the world. So, simply put, Gentiles were separated from God and were separated from His people, Israel. But what is the worst part of that separation? Um... It's not just a neutral separation. The worst part is the hostility. The worst part about separation from God is the fact that the one who is separated from God in their sin is facing the wrath of God. So remember the image in Genesis 3. um, The first sin, Adam and Eve, and uh, they are cast out of God's presence in the garden where they were dwelling with God. And God closes the door, right? Because sin separates us from God. But not only does He close the door, He also guards the way back in with a flaming sword turning every which way. And we studied that not too long ago, which is an image for God's wrath. The sword uh, is an image for His wrath. So sin separates us from God, and the one who is separated from God is facing His wrath. It's the same with the separation between uh, Jew and Gentile. It was a hostile separation. You look at uh, verse 11. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. 
Now, it doesn't jump out to us as being a very hostile thing to say, um, but Jews were circumcised, and that was being marked out as God's people. Gentiles were not, and Jews would lord that over the Gentiles. Really, what we see in verse 11 is akin to a racial slur. I mean, just derogatory, uh, speaking down to another race. Also, notice um, in verse 14, again, this, this hostile separation between Jew and Gentile. Uh, in verse 14, Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility. And this is referring to uh, the Jewish temple where they would go to worship God. So, um, I'm going to use this thing today. And the temple was set up exactly like this as I draw it. And this was the Holy of Holies. Does anybody, uh, what, what was that about? Ark, once a year. Okay, a couple different things. The Ark, that's where God would come and dwell, right? And where His people would come and meet with Him. And once a year, the only human that would go in there is the high priest, who would go once a year in there on the Day of Atonement to sacrifice animals as you know sacrifices for sin. Then did he also have a rope tied around his leg in case things didn't go well? Yeah, I mean it was a dangerous endeavor to go into the presence of God, right? Now here, there's this there's this veil. Okay, uh, no one can come in. And it's even just veiling the glory of God from, from all of us peons out here. And he's ordained one guy that can go into his presence in the Holy of Holies, the high priest. Then you have the holy place. Okay? It's not the Holy of Holies, but it's the holy place. Anyone know what happened there? That's just where the priests would go. Not the high priest, but the priests would go just to do the normal... Uh, you know, sacrifices and rituals and things. I mean, this is where kind of their religious things took place on behalf of the people. Then, you had a few different levels of uh, courts, okay? In the first court, you, this was for Jewish men. In the second court, this is for Jewish women, children. Uh, in the third court, this is for Gentiles. Now, you know, there, was, there were Gentiles that became a part of the uh, traveling community of the people of Israel. They would be circumcised. They would, you know, go through all this stuff. But when they would come to worship God at the temple, they were not allowed the same access. You know, always before them was, well, we're Jewish. And you're a Gentile. So they're back here. And in fact, um, this is the dividing wall of hostility. You would see signs here, something like, keep out you dogs or else, you know, you're going to die. I mean, it was a hostile separation between Jew and Gentile, all right? So, we need to keep that in mind. Um, and that's just, you know, that was just life. There, you can see uh, where the Jew and Gentile tension came from. Gentiles, uh, I mean, even the, the majority of Gentiles in the world were separated from God, and, and then even there, you know, separated from His people, and it was a hostile separation. Now look at verse 13. It says, but now. This is similar to in chapter 2, uh, verse 4. It says, but God. You know, we were dead in our sins. But God, 
He did something about it. He made us alive in Christ. So we're now looking at reconciliation between man and God and Jew and Gentile. Look at verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read it again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Alright, let's work through that. So, the Gentiles were far off, separated from God, separated from His people, but in Christ we're not far off anymore. We've been brought near, it says, by Jesus' blood. Now look back at the image of the temple. It's a beautiful image. Um, But uh, only the high priest could go directly into God's presence in the Holy of Holies, and he only did that once a year to slaughter the animals as sacrifices for sin. But Jesus was the fulfillment of those sacrifices. The blood of the temple sacrifices did not actually atone for sin or pay for sin. They were given as a foreshadowing of the one true sacrifice, the blood that would fully and finally pay for the sin of God's people, which was Jesus' blood when He died on the cross. Don't turn there. Uh, but in Matthew 27, we find out, and if you're familiar with the, the narrative of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we find out that as soon as Jesus died, it says that the veil of the temple was torn in two. Okay, There's a veil there, and, and the literal veil at the temple was ripped from, from top to bottom. Well, what is the significance of that? Jesus, as high priest... He is our great high priest. He made the full and final sacrifice for sin. Peace was made between man and God. The hostility died, our text says that, when Jesus died. He killed it. So there's no more veil. And and now it's not only that the high priest can go into God's presence. Through Jesus, our great high priest, we all have access to the Father. The veil has been removed. In Christ, we can come safely into the presence of God. Both Jew and Gentile. And the basis for Jew and Gentile reconciliation with one another is that both Jew and Gentile are reconciled to God in the same way. Through Christ. So... Jesus not only killed the hostility with God and man, He also killed the hostility between Jew and Gentile. Look at verse 14. It says, He has made us both one, both Jew and Gentile, He's made us one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, So you could say one new man, Christian, in place of the two, Jew and Gentile, so making peace 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What was uh, one of the things separating Jew and Gentile? Well, the Jews had the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What does that mean? They had the temple. They had the sacrifices. Uh, And even if Gentiles were brought into that, they were never allowed the same access. I mean, by and large, Gentiles were not brought into that. But even if they were, they didn't have the same access as the Jew. Once Jesus was sacrificed, there was no more need for the sacrifices. The division between Jew and Gentile was abolished. That division. And once Jesus was sacrificed, there was no more need for the temple. Look again at the image of the temple. Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility. There are no longer these... uh, privileged positions where, you know, the priests get a little bit closer than the Jewish men and the Jewish men get a little closer than the Jewish women and they get closer uh, than the Gentiles. Don't turn, but, but listen to Galatians three twenty-eight. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. You could say Gentile. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now it's not saying that there aren't literally males and females. Of course there are. But there's no privileged position. Uh, We are all one in Christ. Not only do the priests not get closer to God anymore than normal people, not only do men not get closer than women, but Jews don't get closer than Gentiles. Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility. The veil has been torn and the walls have been broken down. So now, Jesus the high priest stands and invites the world, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, into the Father's presence through Himself. Uh, We Gentiles are no longer alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We're no longer strangers to the covenants. We are fellow citizens, the text says, with the saints and members of the household of God. We've been brought into the new covenant in Christ, which is where the previous covenants that God made with Israel are fulfilled. It's where all of those other covenants were leading. Um, There's a lot to think about here, and maybe I've lost you, but... uh, One thing I want to think about is this passage helps us understand the place of the nation of Israel in in redemptive history, in God's plan of salvation. And maybe we need to revisit this next week. We'll see. But uh, simply put, Israel as we see it in the Bible was temporary. Uh, The nation of Israel, as we see it in the Old Testament, with the temple and the high priests and the lower priests and the temple courts and the sacrifices and the kings, it will never be restored. It has served its purpose. Because Jesus is the true and better high priest. The one to whom the high priest pointed to. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice, the full and final sacrifice for sin that all of those sacrifices pointed to. Jesus is the true and better King, the King of God's everlasting kingdom that all of the kings in the nation of Israel pointed to. And as I've already said, 
He tore the veil that guarded the Holy of Holies where God dwelled. In Christ, we're all invited into the presence of God. Jesus broke down the wall of hostility that divided the people. So, um, did you know that the temple hasn't been rebuilt since it was destroyed in 70 A.D.? Now, I've heard it said that... um, and, and you may hear this too, but I've heard it said even recently that they're starting to rebuild the temple in Israel because it's thought that that signals something of the end times. Now, someone may be rebuilding the temple in Israel, but God is not ever going to dwell there again. There is a new temple. It's a living temple, and our, our text talks about it. Verse 20 in our passage says that Jesus Himself is the cornerstone. I mean, if you know anything about uh, architecture, construction, the cornerstone is the most important thing. You've got to start right, right? You've got to get your bearings here, and everything goes out from there for the foundation and the building. Jesus is the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets are the foundation. And we are the stones, Jew and Gentile, male and female, whether slave or free. We all have a part. We are being built into the temple of the Lord. Verse 22, In Christ we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A holy temple. The household of God. So there's no need for the old temple in Jerusalem. God has blown that out of the water. He's building a new temple out of us. He doesn't dwell in the temple. He dwells in us. The Jews are not the superior race. There is no such thing. God has made Jew and Gentile one in Christ. Ephesians 2.15 says, He has made one new man, which we could say Christian, in place of the two, Jew and Gentile. God has started a new race. And it's not about skin color. It's about heart allegiance to Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race. God's race. Christianity is made up of all races. There is no more need for the priests. All Christians are now priests. It's what we call the priesthood of believers. Again, 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So where the priests would be ministering uh, for God on behalf of the people, we are now God's priests as ministers to the world. Maybe you've never thought about yourself that way. But we are all ministers, and we're going to get into in Ephesians 4 about more how that looks and how that fleshes itself out. But we are all priests of God to the world. What does that mean? Well, for instance, I have children that uh, you know, are too young to know this from that and, and don't know the Lord and aren't walking with the Lord. I mean, I have a priestly role in their life as I minister uh, from God to them. Or you have neighbors and friends who who don't know the Lord. And uh, you have a priestly role in their life as you, you know, minister from God to them. Okay. Um, Also, uh, just to, to sum up what I was saying, the nation of Israel will never return to the way it was before because God's nation has gotten much bigger in Christ. It includes people from every nation. Again, 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Um, 
There's more I want to say, but before I do, is there anything you want to say or any questions or thoughts that you have? Uh, and this is when you can wake up if that put you to sleep. So the Jews that still cling to, you know, Judaism, they still go through that whole process? Of, I mean, I know they don't have a temple. No, they don't go through that process. I, I don't know what they do. I mean, they have these... Uh, they don't go, like we go by the Bible. They're not necessarily just going by the Bible. They've added all these other traditions. And I even asked, I mean, I have a family member who for a time converted to Judaism. And uh, I was asking him, like, so what do they do, like, for sacrifices? You know, I mean, that was pretty important in the whole nation of Israel. And he was like, you know, sometimes they skip stones and the water and stuff. I mean, just any way they can kind of symbolize. And it's like, that makes sense. But no, I mean, you know, they're good shiny stones. You know, I, all to say, all to say, you know, we were, I think we tend to make the mistake. I mean, you look at New Testament Christianity, the Jews needed to be evangelized, Right. And, and we would tend to make the mistake that the, the Jews in our day are, are just like them. They're not. They're a whole lot more culturally Jewish. And every, you know, I mean, every Jew that doesn't know Christ needs to come to Christ. So, anyone else? To me, it's just some of the richest uh, imagery of the significance of Jesus and... Um, you know, we could talk more just about the unity of the scriptures, and it's all telling one ultimate story, which is about Jesus and his people. And uh, you can't understand much of Jesus if you don't understand the Old Testament, but it's all connected. Is there any kind of a special relationship that the body of Christ has to Jewish people today, other than the role of evangelizing to non believers? Do we need to advocate for political policies that support Israel? Do we have a, you know, just want to yeah, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Thank you, Clark. That's a good question. That is a good question. Um, you know, you can table that if you need to. No, I don't, I don't know. There's uh, people that think otherwise. I mean, well, there's still, like, you, you can see the uh, importance of Israel in history, but a lot of times where that comes out of is thinking that God has two separate peoples. Christians and Jews. That's not true. God has made one new man, Christian, out of Jew and Gentile. And uh, so, if it comes out of a place of, well, those are all God's people and we just need to advocate for them because they're our brothers. If they don't believe in Christ, they're not our brothers. Now, I think we should do well to all of our people. So, you know, if that includes keeping them from these awful things, I don't, I don't know. Good answer. <laughs> you know, like the Muslim extremists and all that. I mean, I don't have a problem with getting on board with protecting them from that. All right. Chris, I wanted to okay. thank you for just a second. The human condition of, of rationalizing equality is sought out through similarity with how people look or what people say or how they dress or something like that. That is a, it's a human condition. We, we strive to find equality and similarity. And that text there 
is about finding equality within our differences. Mm -hmm. That's a very unhuman way to look at it. Yeah, it's not a natural inclination at all. Um, you know, this passage speaks to the issue of racism. Uh, and for the Christian, it puts an end to it. I mean, I think there are other passages, like just the fact that every human being is created in the image of God so that we ought to value all people, even uh, no matter how wretched. I mean, that they are, there's never a place for racism, even in that. But this text kind of doubles down and just makes it more clear. Here, here's how. If ever there was a group of people who could have seen themselves as a superior race, it was the Jews. I mean... There was one race of people under heaven that were God's people, the Jew. The rest of the Gentile races, not God's people. But this passage shows us that even though they were in this privileged position for so long, both Jew and Gentile, both Jew and every other race are saved in the same way, which is through Christ. The, the playing field has been leveled. Uh, in Christ, there's no more Jew and Gentile distinction. And I, they were wrong to see themselves, you know, sinfully, pridefully, they were viewing themselves that way. Um, but uh, there's no more Jew and Gentile, it's just Christian. Now, unfortunately, Christians haven't always understood that. I mean, uh, and, and many still don't. And, you know, there were many Christians in our country not long ago who were proponents of slavery because... They had a low view of black people and a high view of white people. I mean, it was a perverted view of both, but they saw themselves as a superior race. You know, even in our own day, uh, even for us, there's a lot of division recently stirred up with all the stuff going on in Ferguson and New York City. And whether or not, I'm not trying to talk the what should have happened or what did happen or all that, um, but to your point, Christians, both black and white, showed our natural instinct to gravitate to what we're familiar with and immediately become defensive on behalf of white people or on behalf of black people um, to be loyal to our skin color. And our chief allegiance is to Christ, but that's not the place that we tend to think out of first. We have to kind of train ourselves to think that way, right? This is one of the problems, and this is you know, extending the application, but one of the thoughts that I hear is, I don't have anything in common with them within the church. It's our natural inclination to, to seek something in common in these, you know, fleshly, on that level, where we have everything in common with a Christian. Um, we're Christians, <laughs> you know. We have Christ in common and all these other things. To me, there's just such beauty in the diversity within the body of Christ. Um, Anyway, so we need to be aware of those fleshly allegiances where we tend to go first, and we need to fight those things. And particularly when, when things come up, like a Ferguson or whatever, just know about yourself, and, and I do the same. We tend to think in the flesh, and, and we have to kind of train ourselves to think like this. Um, you know, a couple other things for the Christian. This is also the end of nationalism. I mean, as far as having the superior nation or country, if any nation had the claim to being the nation, it was the nation of Israel. I mean, they could say, we are God's nation, and no one else could say that, but not anymore. Uh, God has burst open the doors and the borders of His nation. It now reaches to every nation under heaven. God's holy nation in Christ is our chief allegiance, not to any 
nation on earth. Uh, one of the best examples that I've ever seen of this is at a conference I was at, and they had an Israeli Christian and a Palestinian Christian on stage. Well, those two nations hate each other and are fighting border wars, right, all the time. It's ugly. Um, but they were communicating, but we have more in common in Christ than we have with our kinsmen. Now, that said, they still have political positions, and they think they're right, and they think they're right, but they're actually working together and prayed together on stage that they would advance you know, God's nation and God's kingdom in the land, which was a powerful, beautiful picture of this unity, uh, even in those deep-seated places like that Um, a couple last things we're out of time but on on what grounds are you going to harbor guilt and fear about the safety of your soul Um, Jesus has established peace between us and God he killed the hostility the text says do you believe that I mean, do you believe that Jesus made the full and final sacrifice for your sin? He said so. His last words, it is finished. Then God declares you to be not guilty, but righteous, covered by the blood of Christ. And He invites you into His presence forever. His his wrath has been forever removed from anyone in Christ. And finally, the passage puts an end toward any hostility we feel toward any man. Because how much greater was the hostility between us and God that our sin had created than, than any hostility between men? And the hostility between us and God was all our fault. I mean, surely it's not always all their fault, whoever you're hostile towards. Uh, but Jesus killed the hostility between us and God. On what grounds are you going to be hostile toward another man? Surely had God had more grounds to be hostile toward you and toward me, but he killed the hostility. And and we especially have no grounds to be hostile toward another Christian. Not only did Jesus kill the hostility between us and God, he killed the hostility between Jew and Gentile, uh, bringing unity where there was that hostility, making one new man out of the two. So if Jesus put an end to that deep, racial, prideful hostility between men, on what grounds are you going to be uh, hostile toward, you know, a fellow Gentile, um, a fellow Christian? And, for example, on what grounds are we going to harbor bitterness toward our spouse or another family member or another Christian acquaintance? Jesus killed the hostility And a part of learning how to live the Christian life is we have to fight whatever hostility remains in our hearts. We confess our sin to God, and He is faithful to forgive. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank You, Lord, for this great salvation that was... uh, foreshadowed in real time for thousands of years in the people of Israel and has now been realized in Christ and expanded to every nation under heaven. Lord, that we are a part 
of this is only because of your grace and mercy poured out on us. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. Uh, All of us seeks our own way. Uh, All of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory, but you uh, you have committed to saving your people, and and Lord, uh, you've done just that. Thank you for killing the hostility between us and God and bringing peace and establishing peace. Uh, Lord, might we imitate that in our relationships uh, with mankind and might we uh, tell the world about this great gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.